From Chicago, welcome to 3 Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. He had like a blackjack table so you could like pretend to play blackjack and like win a towel with the company logo on it of his company. And so of course, naturally as like his eight-year-old daughter, I had to be the one that was dealing because everyone else was like talking shop to the people. So like you start to pick things up when you're dealing blackjack to like 40-year-old people at this conference as a seven-year-old and like talking to people. And like everyone was super nice and there was always someone in the booth with me, which I hope you don't think my dad's like a horrible human, but it was, it was a really good time as a kid and it really taught me a lot on how to interact with people. That was Maddie Frank. Maddie is about to complete her undergraduate degree in electrical and electronics engineering at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. She's been heavily involved in the 3D printing industry during her time in school, having spent time working at Carbon, Divergent 3D, GSC, and volunteering with the Women in 3D Printing Group. She joins the show to talk about her path to additive manufacturing and chronicle her experience entering the sector as a soon-to-be college graduate. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Maddie. Um, pleasure to have you on today. Um, for those of you listening who don't know Maddie, why don't you kind of give give us a little bit of background as we get started? For sure. Well, first off, thanks for having me, Mike, on the podcast. I'm super excited to be here. But anyways, a little bit of background about me. So my name is Maddie Frank, and I'm a senior electrical engineering student at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, graduating in December of 2020. So just a couple months away, and I'm very excited about that. But it should be noted that although my entire college education has been centered around electrical engineering, my true passion and career path have been in the field of additive manufacturing since 2015. So I was first introduced to additive at my school, where I began working at our university's public job shop on a Fortis 400. And then I eventually moved my way over to Divergent 3D in Los Angeles, California, and worked with SLM 280s and 500 as an additive manufacturing intern for a summer. After that, I went over to Carbon, and I did two internships with them, working very closely with their customers and with M1s and the M2s and all the different materials. And then I moved over to, let's see, where do I go next? BD. And when I was at BD, I worked again with Carbon and Figure 4 machines. And I was also really, really, really lucky to get involved with a local reseller here called GSC, where I've worked on writing some technical content for their blog and also getting trained with the um, HP 5200s and 580s and then Mark Forge um, or Mark II and the Metal X machines. So that's a little bit of what I've been doing. I also worked for Foxconn for a couple months and then JW Speaker as well. And that's kind of the gist of my industry experience thus far for the past five years. But what I really love about the additive manufacturing industry is that it's, you can get involved past your typical nine to five job in, a very, in very meaningful ways. So for the past two years, I've actually worked with the AMUG Scholarship Committee to help award worthy teachers and students scholarship to attend AMUG and really learn more about the industry and then bring that knowledge back to their own communities and spread that around. So, you know, you can kind of allow more people access to the industry knowledge more than just like what you would find on a standard Reddit post. And then I've also been working most recently with women in 3D printing. So actually we started to develop a youth initiatives track and I'm in charge of developing their career youth program 
So helping younger people that may be interested in a career of additive manufacturing, figure out what it's all about, and then also how can they get started with their career. And then I've also been working with women in 3D printing for their type conference. So I'm actually developing, along with a couple other people, the type speaker track. So type speaker, youth speaker track. There we go. So it's been pretty fun and really exciting. And I'm loving every moment I have in this industry. So what was that initial spark that got you interested in 3D printing? Oh, yeah. Good question. So it was my freshman year at UW-Milwaukee, and I was in my introductory engineering class. And this is like the, the easy engineering class that they put the freshmen in so they don't scare you away with like all the other stuff that they'll like throw on you in the next couple of years. And we actually had a guest lecturer come in, and his name was Dan Beller. He's pretty much the only professor in the engineering department that does anything with additive at my school. And he came in and did a 45-minute presentation about 3D printing and additive manufacturing. And it was kind of like a really faded moment. If I hadn't been in that specific class or if I decided to skip lecture that night, I probably wouldn't be sitting here with you, Mike. But Dan did a 45-minute presentation all about additive. And I remember talking about like rapid prototyping and unused parts for manufacturing. And there was a specific video that I had in there. It was like an SLA blue laser tracing basically like tool pass in a vat of it must have been like watershed it was a clear resin and that image has stuck with me to this day because I saw that and like my jaw dropped I was like oh my gosh this is so cool like I have all of these thoughts in my mind all these ideas that I've been prototyping with like cardboard and and duct tape for all these years and now finally there's this technology that can take these intangible thoughts and intangible concepts in my mind and give me a tangible part in my hand like a couple hours later. I was like, this is magic. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I knew right away. And I actually went up to Dan right after that presentation. And I was like, I, I need to work in your lab. Can I work with you? And he's like, well, we don't have any paid positions, so I can't really hire you. I was like, it's okay. Like, I'll work a couple of hours for free a week. I just need to know more about this technology. And from there, Dan really kind of like set me up with the bare bones basics and then recommended me for a position where I started working with the Fortis 400 at the job shop. And that's kind of the, the start of it all, I guess. So as you've progressed your career and working at these different companies with different technologies, what kind of drives your decision-making in terms of how you think about kind of what sorts of companies you want to work with or what types of technology you want to work with or what do you want to be doing in the industry? Yeah, definitely. So it's been a trial and error for me, right? I mean, when you go and learn about additive manufacturing, you see primarily the, the engineering portion of things. Like you see like the PhDs that are working on material development or machine development, or you see the engineers that are developing all these really, really cool topology optimized parts. And for me, like I knew specifically when I went into engineering that I wanted to be more on a business side of things. I like interacting with people. And while I do like technology and being technical, I like being social more. And so for me, it was getting what's driven me, I guess, to kind of go and find these different positions and figure out my way in the additive space is just trying, trying different things. So I went into technical positions and I was like, you know, this is fun. I like it, but it's not really what I want to do. 
I went in and I got really good experience on customer facing roles with Carbon, where I actually got to go and travel to different bureaus and help them make ROI on the machines, learn how to use the machines properly and what makes a good application. And I love that, teaching people how to utilize Adiv properly and really help develop the applications with these people. And it's been, I think that's probably what drives my decision most is, you know, like, what do I enjoy? What do I like? What do I want to do, even if I'm not being paid? Like, I want to get paid, of course. But I mean, like, what would I be doing if I wasn't getting paid? Like, I'm developing relationships with women in 3D printing in a volunteer position. So that's one of the things I'm like, oh, like, this is an indicator that I should go and work in a more customer-facing position. So that's kind of what I've been going for I guess for the past couple of years and so far it's worked out very well a lot I'll say that like I'm not a person that makes a let's see like a three or five year career track plan I'm one of those people that identifies what do I like what I want to do more of and then how where can I find opportunities that allow me to pursue these things that I want to do and then also, what can I do to make myself the best applicant possible? So when those opportunities do come around, I will get picked for them, right? And so that's kind of been my philosophy so far. It's taken me to some really cool places to do some really cool things. And I'm just going to keep going with it. So what kind of motivates you to do the networking? I think that's one of the things that, I mean, probably when, I don't know, when we first met and mhub or at amug or something but mm-hmm. kind of, do you remember were you always really good at networking was it something you worked at was it something that you kind of learned from your peers or your parents yeah. or where did that come from <laughs> yeah definitely so uh, if you've ever ran into me at amug i you'll know that i like to talk to people uh, mikey kind of commented on that but it started when i was a kid so my dad is a small business owner and he used to have basically events at, at conferences and he'd have like a booth and we get to go with him to the conference, but in exchange to go to like the water park that was held at, like we would have to work the booth. And so from like the age of like eight, I'd be working at these booths talking to his customers. And like, I was always surrounded by older people, which like with, on my, with working with my dad and being his kid, like having to talk to all these people in a very professional manner. So that's where it started. And as I grew, it kind of evolved to me just enjoying learning about people, enjoying making friends and developing relationships. And it's lent itself very, very well within, within AMUG, right? So I went to my first AMUG when I was a sophomore in school, right? I, I think it was like 2016, I want to say was my first AMUG. And when I went, like, I didn't know anyone. I was surrounded by older men there was a couple women but there wasn't a lot and there wasn't very like many men that were around my age either so I had a choice like and I knew immediately I was like okay you either have to go and like kind of get out of your comfort zone and start talking to these random people that you've never met before that are unlike you in every in a lot of different ways or you can kind of you know not get the most out of this conference and I was being paid to go to this conference by my work at that time so I started making friends and talking to people and the more I spoke with like yourself and Derek Ellis who introduced us, the more I realized like, you know, these people are really fun and really friendly and they have so many cool stories and there's so much to learn from them. And that kind of just started a snowball effect where I was like, I want to learn from everybody. I want to meet everyone. I want to know what everybody's doing because this industry is filled with some super cool characters and 
the more people you meet, the more people they introduce you to, and then the more the more relationships you develop. And that's the really fun part is when you can kind of reach out to anyone you know and you're like, oh, hey, like I have this really cool opportunity I want to introduce you to, or you know, I have this question about this technology. I have no idea what it does, but I know you're really good at it. Can you like walk me through this? Like, or I have an application I need to develop, but I don't know too much. Like when you have those relationships after you've developed them and keep in touch with people it's really fun just to be able to like talk shop. And that's kind of what's driven me forward as, as I've progressed with my career is really just meeting people and enjoying the conversations and the relationships that I've developed. And so what did your, did your dad teach you how to do the networking? Did you just throw you, throw you into the, into the wolves for yeah. the first conferences? <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, it was like, I think it was like eight. I was like at the Wisconsin Dells, which is like the big like water. They call it the water park capital of the world. Yep, I know. It yeah, well. you know, Mike. <laughs> um, it's kind of a, like a landmark in the Midwest. And he had like a okay. He had like a blackjack table, so you could like pretend to play blackjack and like win a towel with the company logo on it of his company. And so, of course, naturally, as like his eight-year-old daughter, I had to be the one that was dealing because everyone else was like talking shop to the people. So like you start to pick things up when you're dealing blackjack to like 40 year old people at this conference as a seven year old and like talking to people and like everyone was super nice. And there was always someone in the booth with me, which I hope you don't think my dad's like a horrible human, but it was, it was a really good time as a kid. And it really taught me a lot on how to interact with people. It gives me some good ideas of what to do with my kids as they get older. <laughs> exactly. Start with Skittles and then slowly move up to candy bars. That's, that is my, uh, that's what I, my recommendation is. That's great. And so now as you're, you've kind of been through the process and having done a number of internships over the last few years, do you have other students kind of followed your lead at, uh, at your school in terms of exploring additive? Is it a, a growing mm-hmm. area or what do you, what do you get the sense of, of people coming up through kind of, your program or the people around the school of the exposure to AM? Yeah, definitely. So it's grown a lot since I first started. So I began school in 2015 and in 2015, we only had, we had like a dimension and maybe one or two desktop printers in the entirety of the engineering department. And now a couple years later, we have the entire proto club typing club that I'm not super involved in, but they have, at least 10 desktop printers and like a laser cutter and all these really cool things. So there's definitely interest in additive manufacturing and 3D printing. And I've seen this interest grown as well. However, at my school, in terms of like of a professional career in additive manufacturing, it's not something a lot of kids consider, all right? And that's at my school personally, because we don't have a big additive program like MSOE, or I think like, uh, like MIT has big additive program as well, right? I mean, like you came out of that one. So I would say that there, where you have the, the investment of teachers and from people that care about the industry and want to bring more students in, that's where you find the most students that have interest in the actual career path with additive. But unless you actually have a dedicated, I guess, group of uh, like a class or a professor that's really pushing it or really like a program for your students it's really easy for them to kind of see additive only as this little like desktop machine that prints in abs plastic and there's nothing else to do right and so whenever i go into other 
other classes at UWM to talk about additive manufacturing to these to other students, to my peers, I bring in my sample parts and I love sample parts, Mike. So I'll bring in like my titanium samples from SLM, I'll bring in polyjet samples, my fun squishy carbon samples, and I'll hand them out to kids and they're like amazed. They're like, oh my gosh, like you, you can print like this, like you can print these things and these technologies. And once you show them that, then they're a lot more interested in going and in, in checking out additive manufacturing too. Like they see that there are possibilities for a legitimate, lucrative and enjoyable career. And so I think that it's gotten better to create a pipeline from school to industry for additive manufacturing, but I will say that it's not prevalent. And that's kind of one of the things that we're hoping to change, at least with the women in 3D printing youth section. How much of it do you think is, I mean, a lot of the onus in, in my opinion right now is on kind of the students that like yourself that take initiative and are actively kind of looking for these roles. So you kind of get a pipeline of kind of the really passionate folks. Yeah. But I mean, it's not to say, I mean, it's been a while since I've been on campus, but I still engage with a number of universities. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like many AM companies are going to career fairs and having booths or mm-hmm. kind of, recruiting in the conventional way that you would uh, as Ford or ExxonMobil or Mm -hmm. some of these other companies. So I think it's as the industry grows that I imagine is, I still still see as kind of a growing pain of what, um, where are people getting kind of talented folks and and how are they kind of Mm -hmm. doing the matchmaking? Yeah, definitely. And it's something that's kind of like near and dear to my heart. So you're right. You go to your school career fair and I'm not talking like if you're going to like Berkeley or MIT, which are wonderful schools for additive. I'm talking if you're like the 90% of other college undergraduates who go to, to smaller schools, like mid-tier schools like mine, UW-Milwaukee or some state school, like you don't have Renishaw coming in or Stratasys coming in to recruit students into AM. And when you don't have those opportunities that are so blatantly obvious to students, they don't recognize that there is a legitimate career in additive manufacturing. And in fact, like for myself, I wanted to start getting into additive my sophomore year. And I looked online for like additive manufacturing internships. And I ended up like, there was like, you could find them for EOS, 3DS, and Stratasys, but I couldn't really find anything else at that point just by Googling those words. And so I actually got my first internship by literally guessing the emails of an HR person for a company that I wanted to work for and sending them my resume and cover letter and saying, will you hire me? And I got an interview. And, yeah. and That's the I same thing. Actually, that's yeah. funny shit. I did the yeah. same thing for my first internship at East really? Yep. So I started guessing. I found a, mm-hmm. a uh, news article online about, uh, about the person and uh, was able to, to guess a few emails. It's an under <laughs> underappreciated skill because it's not that hard if you think about it. It's really not. But like, I mean, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I mean, like you can recognize now, like you, I'm very, I feel like I'm relating to you, Mike, that there is to get an internship in additive manufacturing or 3D printing, which is like the start of your career. Like you get an internship in, in an industry and usually that's kind of like what it's either you like it and you stick with that industry or you're, you don't like it and you leave. But that's like the start of your career, right? And for additive manufacturing, unless you guess someone's email or you, more importantly, you know someone, you're, it's very difficult to get 
internships here. And I, there might be people that disagree with that, but as a student and as people, as someone that's tried to get other students involved with additive, I find it time and time again where people are like, do you know any, they ask me, they're like, do you know anyone that's hiring with additive? Like I put my resume into this career flight to this ad online and I never hear back from this company for an AM internship. Like you need to know someone as a student or as a young person to really get a solid start in this industry. Otherwise you're just relying on almost pure luck. Agreed. And I think there's also an issue with many of these companies of trying to figure out who it is and what skill set they're actually looking for. Right. Because it's, it, it, it's such a diverse, there's a lot of different areas that you could focus on. There's the sales and marketing, there's materials, there's design, there's even for printer manufacturers, there's the mechanical engineering or computer science of the software. So there's so many different roles and it's, I mean, it's, it's somewhat compartmentalized, but I don't think it's big enough yet to be fully compartmentalized. So a lot of Mm -hmm. companies are trying to find like, this jack of all trades that can do everything for them. Yeah. I remember I was speaking with someone at AMUG. They worked for a military lab, I want to say. And every time like I talked to them, they're like, do you know any unicorns? I'm like, what? They're like, we need a material scientist who knows how to operate three different types of machinery and has basic thermal dynamic, dynamic analysis skills. I'm like, oh my gosh, like you're what? Like, how do you find these people? And they, they do exist, but it's like the people that, your idea of what you need to hire for additive is not always necessarily what you need for your job. I mean, like my degree is in electrical engineering, Mike, and I've worked with like materials scientists at other positions. Like I, what, like, how does that even work? And if you're looking at the majority of people that are also in this industry too, as like, you know, they're, they are the standard of additive manufacturing professional. You'll look at them and a lot of them don't have degrees in the traditional sense. Some of them have art degrees. Some of them have marketing degrees. Some of them have no degree at all, but they, maybe they went to tech, like they don't, they learned everything that they learned on the job. And now they're like industry professional and people that I look up to. And so I think that another like kind of area that additive is weekend for helping recruitment or helping this pipeline of lack of labor that we currently do have in this industry is defining what we want and also what makes that we don't have any program we don't have an additive manufacturing undergraduate degree but you know maybe like machinists maybe they know a lot about manufacturing could you plug them in and and have them learn a lot and i think that's until we kind of get like a standard or like if we have a degree program or a certification or even though there's a way for you to kind of verify your knowledge, like, yes, I do know how to work with additive equipment. I think that's another way, that's another kind of roadblock for us as we try and bring more people into this industry, because just looking at a resume, they might not have a mechanical engineering background and maybe they're super, super duper qualified, but they might not get hired because they don't have that one thing that a recruiter believes is necessary for this job. Right. For sure. And I think as well as there's, just now probably a generation of students, recent grads coming into the industry that have had exposure to the technology, whether it's in a lab at the small scale or like yourself in different areas that they've kind of focused their degree program or their degree or career trajectory on 3D printing. But for the most part, I would say, I mean, even like 90, 95% of 
people in the space, especially at leadership positions, they're, what they were doing as an undergrad and kind of new hire was very far from 3D printing. Like mm-hmm. as they developed in their career, they started on taking different groups or building facilities. Um, they kind of merged into it and gained different experience and kind of brought it to there. So it's, they're kind of looking, I mean, my sense is that there's still a disconnect and it's kind of fluid at the moment of, of exactly what you're saying is kind of what are people, how should people be looking at kind of new hires and, and the future of, of their company or 3D printing in their organization? Yeah. And I think that's a, it's a really good point to bring up. And I'm really excited myself to see what's going to happen with the generation after me, those kids that are just coming into college this year in 2020. When I left my high school, when I graduated, we didn't have a single three. I never heard of 3D printing. We never had a single 3D printing, 3D printer within our school. And now my alma mater high school I graduated from has like five printers and they have a whole program developed for 3d printing and you go into your public high schools and they have little desktop scanners and 3d printers or public library excuse me desktop scanners and and printers and you're like wow like kids are growing up with this technology in their hands like they're able to get these ideas out of their mind they're able to like cad things up on tinkercad like they're they're more advanced you know than most engineers were coming out of school like three years ago or coming out of high school, excuse me, like three years ago. And so I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens when these students hit college and they're all of a sudden, they're kind of like, Oh, you know, I really like that 3d printing thing. Like what else can I do with this? Or, Hey, I know how to just like cat this up for a quick like senior design project or a freshman design class. Like I can do that. And I think the design skills are going to be a lot more impressive. And I think the plasticity of the thinking that these kids will have coming out of college will be, much better than what we have now. You know, they're not being, they won't be bound with the design rules that are currently taught for your traditional subtractive manufacturing. They'll recognize and understand that you can print a lot of different geometries than you could traditionally do before. And I think that that's going to allow them to come up with a lot more creative solutions. And I think that's going to be really cool to see in the future when we have like kids that were raised with 3D printing and applying it to different areas of their life that and kind of, I guess if you do like a little comparison to the people that are now like the head honchos in, in AM right now that didn't have that growing up and they started maybe when they were in their twenties or thirties. For sure. And kind of over the last, over kind of 2020 where kind of in-person networking has been mm-hmm. challenging. Yep. Kind of how have, how have you dealt with that when there's no AMUG and Rapid <laughs> or any of the, the conferences? Um, well, I'll tell you what, I've been sad about it. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, I like, I lived for AMUG. It was the one time a year where I got to kind of go for a week and see all of my really good friends from this industry and just, you know, catch up in person. And so it's been a adjustment for sure, but I think it's one that it took a little bit for me to get on board with, but I, I've made the transition successfully. Basically what I do is like, I'll reach out to random people and like that I know on LinkedIn. I'll be like, oh, hey, like, sorry, we never got to see each other at AMUG. Like, what's new with you? And try and keep those connections live that way. But then also I've been getting more involved with different like 
volunteer organizations, again, like women in 3D printing. That was, this is a very new thing for me. I started in July, right around when you started doing your podcast, actually, Mike. And it was first, it was kind of like, well, I guess this is something for me to do like during COVID. And it's turned into a way for me to actually be able to network and give me an excuse to learn from people and like reach out to random people and be like, hey, like I'm doing some work for this organization. I want to talk to you. And that's probably the main way of, do, of me doing it is just like reaching out and saying hello and saying that I have a mutual acquaintance and they recommended that I speak to them about a certain topic that I'm curious about. But I will say it's a lot more work especially, oh, this is a good point, especially when you're going to these online conferences. So when you go to online conferences for additive, I don't know if you've been to any of them, Mike, but usually they have like a, like a happy hour or a networking session. But I have no problem in person walking up to someone and that I don't know and being like, you know, sorry, I just heard your conversation. Like, it's really interesting what you're doing with FDM. Like, can I ask you a couple questions? Rather, whereas when I'm online and it's just like me and my camera and my laptop, I'm going in to like speak with random strangers. It's, it's scary. It's weird. I don't like it. And so that's one of the things I had to train myself out of. But it's also another thing that I have found myself, if I, if I don't train myself out of that, I don't make a conscious effort to go speak with with people I don't know, I'll find myself like in little groups of clusters of people that I'm comfortable with that I've known from prior in the industry, which not that that's a bad thing, but it's also something that, you know, it's, it's not like, it's not like in-person networking. It's not like you can just randomly run into someone and strike up a conversation. So I think that's definitely one of the things that's changed a lot with, with networking is when you go online, you actually have to make a conscious effort not to stick with your group, right? You have to go out there and really just like, walk up to some random virtual table and sit down and say, hi, mind if I join your conversation? Cause it feels really, really unnatural for me at least, but it's definitely something that's allowed me to get to know some really interesting people from different companies and smaller companies. That I probably wouldn't have met at AMUG either because they just don't have the funds or the manpower to send someone over to these massive conferences for four or five days. So there are advantages and there are disadvantages to the online conference and online networking, but it's just different, right? For sure. It's just different, yeah. And so hopefully we will probably never see the end of those, but maybe they'll mm -hmm. kind of wane a little bit in 2021. So kind of what are you looking forward to in the coming six months to a year in terms of your additive career and, and things going forward? Well, number one, I'm looking to, I'm really excited to have a full-time position, you know, for, oh, shameless plug i'm looking for a position by the way since i'm graduating in december so if anyone's interested um hit me up on my linkedin but i mean i've been working in additive for like five years as or five years as interns in various areas and i always have to keep going back to school so it's like i really start getting in the swing of things mike when i'm interning i'm like yeah i love this, this is great i'm working with technology i love i'm working with people i love and then i go back to school where i'm working with op amps and Ohm's law. And I'm like, you know, I don't really love this as much. And so that's what I'm really excited for is just being able to get into a position in a career that really like speaks with me instead and not having to break it up with school, which is something I'm not too much of a fan of. So that's number one. But in terms of like industry wise, what I'm really excited for for the next six months and to, to a year, I'm really hoping for to see at least, I would say like some small in-person event. I mean, 2021, hopefully they'll start dis 
bursting some sort of vaccine to essential workers and some other at-risk people. So maybe that will give people like a little bit more comfort of assembly in person with some social distancing in place. But I think that would be really exciting for me is just being able to like see a machine running in person and like going to do some lab visits in person and seeing all the new technology rather than just, you know, watching promotional videos on them. I think that's something I'd be really excited for. And it might actually be like in two years, I guess. So maybe extend that timeline a little bit longer. But I mean, that's my number one thing that I'm excited for in this industry is just being able to get back to business as usual. Well, Maddie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll uh, get on to, to the uh, normal way of life in, in a few months or even in the next year or so. Yeah, fingers crossed. But thank you so much for having me on, Mike. You know, I guess for COVID, maybe this podcast wouldn't have had uh, happened without it. So a few good things did come out of it. But I'm super happy I was able to join you today and really excited to see all the other podcasts that you produce. So thank you again. Thank you so much. Definitely.